Welcome to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. go mm, all righty welcome to your favorite episode well this is probably this is yeah this is your favorite episode of your favorite podcast board game snobs this is jerry the star of the show am i coming in clearly Can you, you hear are me clearly? you are 100 percent clear unfortunately i have not i had don't have enough snare in my headphones no. that's god it's a little slurred speech i'm not sure what that is maybe that's the microphone i don't know slash Audio guys, primary host, primary host, foundation cornerstone of the podcast. Mm. And with us, we have a special guest because we do special guests every once in a while. Who do we have? Well, it's our dear friend Giuseppe. Say hello, Giuseppe. Hello. I think I'm the least qualified person you've ever had on the show, but I'm so excited to be here. Uh, uh, no, we had Enrique on many times. <laughs> I think it goes Enrique, Christian, Solard. Well, he's got a, his own podcast now, so he, Soul Train's got a podcast. Uh, who else have we had on? Dan Hughes. Delicious Toes. Um, you're not, you're, you're probably, I'm just going to come out, out and say this, Giuseppe. You're in our top five <laughs> of guests, <laughs> considering we haven't had that many. Great praise. He might be better known to many on uh, Instagram as AKA Board Game Diner. Yes, the man who eats and regurgitates board game pieces. It's quite entertaining seeing those meeples get sucked down and then come right back up. <laughs> we were going to call it Cardboard Cafe, but that, that didn't ring as well as Board Game Diner. <laughs> cardboard. It's all about alliteration, I see. Well, no, yep, Board yep. Game Diner <clears throat> doesn't really have any Cardboard Cafe. Ooh, I don't know. That's a tough one. Sh- How about the solo Salmier? How do oh, you say that? Sommelier? Sommelier. What did I say? Sommelier? <laughs> you, again, you're slurring. I don't know if it's the microphone or... No, it's this It's this Stella Artois I'm drinking. Oh, oh that 5% Stella Artois. So we got you going. Mm. It, it, you can t- smell the hint of Belgium in it. <laughs> mm. Did you know, Jerry and Giuseppe... The three banded armadillos can live up to 16 years. Oh, God. We're done with the armadillo stuff. There's a, no, I've got uh, a lot to tell you about armadillos. Armadillo about armadillos. Did you know it's the only species? Now, we talked last time about the roly poly effect. It's the only species of the roly poly that actually does the, the three banded is the only one that rolls up to a ball for defense. Uh, see, I'm shattering myths right now. I'm I'm amazed. Most armadillos quickly dig deep. They're known as quick diggers. Those armadillos, they will burrow down deep in the dirt, and just their shell will be showing for protection. But that, the three banded species, go ahead. <laughs> I see you. I ha- hand raised. I have. A, go ahead, Mister Baker. Have a, 
I have a joke. It's not my joke. It's from Richard Lapino. The joke is, what do an armadillo and Yoko Ono have in common? They both live off dead beetles. (laughs) (laughs) One's known as a great digger. One's known as a gold digger. (laughs) I can only Uh, imagine. Uh, They're mostly, they are, it says they are endemic to Eastern Brazil. What does endemic mean? Is that like pre-pandemic? No, pandemic is like it's all over the place. Endemic means they're everywhere in that it's area, everywhere. but they don't like spread out. I think like rabbits. They're the rabbits of Brazil. Pandemic, something else. I can't remember all the emics. Huh. Interesting. Um, it says that when they do roll up into a ball, sometimes they don't go all the way closed up in the ball. Sometimes they stay slightly open, and then when the predator touches it, they snap shut like pap. Much like Richard Gere does the jewelry box to Julie Roberts in Pretty Woman. Remember, hey, snap that and it scares the predator. Bam! Woo! <laughs> stay away from me, woman. <laughs> 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 you want this? You want this? Huh? Oh, so close. <laughs> and so then, 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 then the predator is scared away, scurries off. It says they mark their territories with, get this, secretions from glands on their faces, feet, and rumps. I don't know that rump is a uh, scientific term, but it was on Wikipedia. That's posterior. Oh, like a rump roast. Can you eat Mm -hmm. armadillo? Yes, you can. Actually, I believe in Mexico and some regions, they actually will... I, I was told now, so please write in if you know better than this, because I'm sure this is third-hand knowledge. But they would cook Nobody them in their own shell. Nobody knows armadillos more than me. Go ahead. They would cook them in their own shell, like stick uh, forks or sticks up into the meat and set that over the fire and then like cook them and then eat them out of their own shell, was what I was told. Oh, that's horrendous. Mm. Poor, right. poor armadillo. I, so you guys don't eat armadillo in your area? I just assumed. No, it's possum uh, here. No, Giuseppe. Giuseppe's from Las Vegas, the land of venereal diseases, and we just assume that y'all eat y'all eat geckos and things over there and cigarette butts. I don't know what's the main cuisine in Las Vegas. The the uh, yeah, cigarette butts and uh, old liquor, cheap liquor, uh, shrimp cocktails. You know, <laughs> actually. We do have a terrible outbreak of rabbits. Uh, rabbits are actually native to Las Vegas in Southern Nevada. And uh, people have abandoned their pets over the years and the pets have bred with the local rabbits. And now there are just gangs of rabbits all over the city <laughs> living wherever they can in the little bit of foliage in this desert. And apparently they're brutal rabbits that attack each other. The weak get... get uh, get attacked and killed because there's so little food and they eat the weak and it's like a really terrible thing and they've been trying to solve it but they can't <laughs> okay first off a, a group of rabbits is not called a gang it's oh, called a fluffle yes yes a fluffle. a fluffle <laughs> so second thing is do, you, do y'all not have any predators in in los angeles well i know y'all have predators oh, yeah. but i mean like usually chris hansen is talking to them i'm chris hansen <laughs> <laughs> they're at the trump hotel there's not enough. There's too many rabbits. The coyotes can't eat all of them. And the rabbits are like in the city and the coyotes are out on the edges. So, rabbits are in the penthouse. 
But then we have dogs, you know, wild dogs, you know, stray dogs. Rabbits roaming around with their leather jackets and uh, (laughs) spike studs. (laughs) The Jets and the Rabbits. Uh, Do yourself a a favor, since you're talking about gangs of rabbits. Most people don't realize that rabbits are very violent. Get on YouTube and look up Rabbit MMA or (laughs) Rabbit UFC. I'm serious. There are tons of videos of rabbits fighting to the literal death. And they take that, they put that to some music, you know, wow. you put a little corn to that, and you just watch rabbits fight to the death. It's disturbing. But that might be a thing Ooh, that y'all would like in Las Vegas. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I want to see a rabbit die, but it would be interesting. <laughs> Poor rabbit. Uh, you know, you Las Vegas people, y'all do anything for entertainment. Y'all had anything. Wayne Newton there for years. Yep, yep. This he is was... the headquarters of MMA, you know? Is that why they call it the Bunny Ranch? Because there's so many rabbits there? Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Did you know that the uh, ancient Peruvian Incans used to tell time by how long it took to bo- uh, uh, cook potatoes to various uh, temperatures. I just found that out. So different segments that's... of time were like hard-boiled. I don't know. What are the different... How, how do you describe the different types of potato cooking? Soft? Do y'all not have <laughs> potatoes in Las Vegas? Of course not. If it if it can't be flown in to a casino landing pad, uh, we don't eat it. So <laughs> You don't grow anything out there, do you? Besides um, gonorrhea. <laughs> no, we used to. Uh, and there is still some agriculture in the middle of the state. But like no, what? everything what if based- I, yeah. If I was going to bring my mad growing skills to Las Vegas, what Potatoes would I be grow everywhere. Potatoes. I bet they're out there. Yeah, you could grow potatoes. See, here's the thing. You have to understand. The soil is totally useless. So if you're going to grow anything, you have to bring the soil, too. Um. It's all just sand, right? Right. So you can grow stuff, but you're going to uh, you're going to need to fertilize it. You're probably going to need to start with some sort of base soil, and you're going to have to deal with it becoming extremely hot. It has to survive it getting hot really fast and for a long time, and really cold. So those are your problems. <laughs> so <laughs> like whatever, grows, grows, whatever grows really off a of tumbleweed, cold. What was that? Okra. Okra grows off tumbleweeds? I bet okra I, could grow. I could, uh, yeah, I could see okra growing. If potatoes can grow on Mars, they can grow in Las Vegas. <laughs> I'm sure they can. And water, you'll have to water just constantly. You can never rely on, because we often go 200 days without rainfall. So so things uh, dry out very easily. Yes, yes. Do you chafe a lot over there? Yes. Lots of chafing in Las Vegas. I, I, I'll explain it to you how dry it is here. When I travel anywhere else, the air smells weird to me <laughs> because I'm not used to moisture in the air. Um, and often, like, everything smells moldy or something to me because I've never smelt those kind of things because the air here is just utterly, utterly dry. Sounds good to me. No sweating. That's one of my <laughs> biggest problems. I'm a profuse sweater. Uh, you still sweat here. It'll be different, though. You'd probably like it better because there's no humidity either. Um, when I used to play video games, just playing a vid- Street Fighter, air hockey, I would sweat in the arcade. <laughs> Highly embarrassing. And I wasn't even big then. I was a young, skinny man at that time. I just sweat. much. Like I secrete fluids from my face, much <laughs> like the three-banded armadillo. 
Okay, maybe I was, we're done with the maybe, maybe I was marking my territory. <laughs> I'm like, this is my Street Fighter machine as I secrete my facial fluids upon it. <laughs> we're dead. We're dead with the armadillo stuff. I've got to have to. That is, that, Why that are you hating on our, too- What about potatoes? I'm done with potatoes, too. Oh, there was a famine. It was tate, terrible. Tater's going to tate. I see how you are. I am mm. what I am. I have all these potato puns ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> this spuds for you. As I drink, my dear. Actually, you may know this. A real interesting fact about potatoes. Potatoes created colonialism. Because the potato was the first crop that could feed all of the Europeans and make giant cities. And when they found it in South America and brought it back, they they had a massive population explosion. And that caused them to seek new places to move. And that's what caused, you know, every colonialization moving to the new world, everyone rushing over into the Americas because there was such overpopulation in Europe because potatoes could feed so many people. Oh, so all things look at to the that. Americas. Hot potato. <laughs> and that's how the game was invented. <laughs> Anytime you play hot potato, you're just furthering colonialism. Yeah, that's my thought. <laughs> so when, so when they, how long did it take them to get to America? One potato, two potato, two potato, four potato, five potato. You can they you do time. a lot of stuff with potatoes. Okay. So what if they made off, a think- potato based <laughs> Star Wars starring Darth Tater? No, no. Uh, I think uh, we need to give people some background on Giuseppe because we didn't really introduce him. We just said, this is Giuseppe, and then we started. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I just, I just don't realize it. Like, we, just he is. we have a guest. <laughs> we <laughs> have this guy that just showed up, and we're just going <laughs> to talk. Well, so we started the podcast back in 2017, and, of course, Gobby was obsessed with, is anybody listening? And I think the first listener that ever messaged us or had any email was it, it was Giuseppe. Wasn't it? Well, no, he was the second. He's the, probably the long. He was the second and the longest lasting uh, emailer. Captain Croc emailed us, but he wanted uh, that Meeple's game, Meeple Wars. We don't talk about Captain Croc. <laughs> I don't know that Captain Croc's still there. <laughs> No, he's not here. He's not listening. We've talked so much trash about If Cap- he's not listening, yes, uh, I'm going to rewrite history, much like uh, most people do. And Giuseppe's still here. So Giuseppe is the first emailer. Yeah, Giuseppe's the longest running uh, listener of our show. And I don't know why. I don't know why he has nothing else better to do. <laughs> but essentially, off and on, we have corresponded with Giuseppe and next thing I know, Gobby has invited him onto the show. And so that's how it goes. If you listen long enough, eventually we let you onto the show. We reward loyalty. We're like Kroger. We have a loyalty program. <laughs> CBS. Have you listened to 100 episodes? If you email us, <laughs> you might get a chance. Oh. But anyways, we thought it would be nice to have Giuseppe on the show, to have some variety, but also just to talk. And we hope Giuseppe plays board games. We just assumed that he listens to us for our hot board game <laughs> reviews rather than just our banter. Quick but, uh, question. Giuseppe, do every, does everyone call you Giuseppe? All three syllables? Because that's a lot. Um, some people call me G. Um, so G? you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> but most people just call me by my name. Yeah. No, 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 no like Jesse's or Sep or... 
No, I don't really have a nickname. What will happen like when I start a new job or something or meet someone, they'll call me by my full name. And then after a while, they just start calling me G because when you email <laughs> me or you text me, it's just so much easier to type G. Even my family members type that. Yes. Um, and that's just what happens. But it's not really my nickname. I just usually go by my full name. And your last name is Machiaverna? Yeah. So we say Machiaverna. Macaverna. So we killed all the Italian accent it could have. We just say Macaverna. Hey, Macaverna. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so GMAC. Oh, I GMAC. GMAC, yes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Got you. Is that why you derailed my topic? Yeah, Is sorry. That- <laughs> I, I, Giuseppe, I was writing out his email. I'm like, G, I, and I like had to reference it three times. I'm like, G, I, is a U in there? Okay, and then there's a E. How many P's? How many S's? It's a difficult name to spell out. Giuseppe. It, it's actually really funny because my name sometimes like causes people to become paralyzed when I try to say it to them or they try to say it. Now, if they're from the East Coast, they're probably familiar with it because on the East Coast, because it's one of the most common names in Italy. It's the Italian version of Joseph. Mm-hmm. So if you're from the East Coast and your name is Joey, you're pro- your real name is probably actually Giuseppe. So people on the East Coast <laughs> know it. <laughs> hey, um, Joey, huh? Yep. Uh, <laughs> but some people, they've never heard it, and uh, they just flip out. And sometimes they literally can't say it, so they will say Gillespie. Or if they're more familiar with Spanish, they'll say Guadalupe. Guadalupe. <laughs> that was my grandmother's And I just answered that. I answered anything. <laughs> I'm the same way. Gabriel Mar- Andres Moraga. I mean, like Mar- Mar- Gabriel. Okay, people. Actually, my name is Gabriel. But most it's people, a girl's name. <laughs> only in Mexico, apparently. Some of my Mexican friends have told me they're like Gabrielle. That's what we call the girls. I'm like, well, where my dad's from, it's 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 masculine, or I guess it goes both ways. I don't know. But Moraga, like in school, inevitably be was just Morgan, Gabe Morgan. Like that was my name. <laughs> like I was really uh, uh, Americanized with Gabe Morgan. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean. It sounds like you have exactly the same experience I had. My name was always strange to my teachers. And, and here, there's lots of Hispanic people. Lots of people speak Spanish. So the Hispanic names are even easier, usually, than mine was. So it's just, you know, when you have a different name, unlike Jerry, you know, you, you're Jerry. always different. <laughs> Jerry Baker. <laughs> so cliche. That's dead. My real name's Gerald Donison <laughs> Bakerson III. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so we were trying to get to know the man behind the name Giuseppe, not just the etymology of, of, your, of your name. <laughs> so tell us about you, Giuseppe. The fans are clamoring to know more about you. Who is this shadowy figure we've brought on to the podcast? Well, they're going to be severely disappointed. Um, my only claim to fame is I have an Instagram with a few followers, like 3,000 plus or something. But, uh, you know, so I guess that's something. But I'm not a content. Do you creator. have a OnlyFans? <laughs> not that I'm willing to share here on the uh, uh, podcast. No. <laughs> and what does your what does your Instagram display? Well, uh, basically just my wife and I playing board games, and not even pictures of us necessarily, just pictures of the actual board games we're playing. Um, and we are pretty much the classic story. Actually, uh, what's real fortunate is my wife is actually a. I always say more fanatical about board games than I am. <laughs> uh, when we got married um, in uh, 
Okay, maybe I'll get the date right. 2016. <laughs> that seems about right. <laughs> and uh, oh, she look, she came into the frame all of a sudden. Played, <laughs> she had never played any modern board games. And I had only ever played Catan. And I showed her Catan and she loved it so much. She's like, is there more? Are there more games we can get? And I started researching it and started watching the Dice Tower. And now we have, you know, two calyxes fully stuffed and board games on the side. So uh, I think we have like over 300 games and expansions now. So from nothing when we got married. So, yeah, pretty much fanatical hobbyists. Your wife, Summer. Yes. She's a medical professional, although she's actually a secretary, not a nurse. Um, But she works right on the floor in the ICU. She does the paperwork. When the patients come in, when they leave, when they die, she does the paperwork. (laughs) Oh, sounds fun. It is. <laughs> those people are invaluable. Uh, <laughs> yes, those the, the ones that shuffle and take care of the ward clerks, that take care of all the people dying, people getting sick, people coming into any type of hospital generates scads of paperwork. And uh, yes, the unsung heroes of the, of the hospital. So where did you play most of your games there in Vegas? Uh, what's really great in Vegas, of course, in the before times, before the pandemic, uh, we actually have a couple different board game cafes, but we have one of the best, I think, in the world. Although I haven't really visited any others, but uh, we have Meepleville. Um, but Meepleville Cafe, it's owned by uh, a gentleman, um, Tim, uh, who actually works for Yellow. Oh, the Knights of Ye! <laughs> <laughs> what is your name? Tim! He actually, he actually works for Yellow. <laughs> I know, I have notes. That's not in my notes. <laughs> but uh, Meepleville has over 2,000 board games in their library. And they Good usually board. get the newest games almost upon release to play. So it was a fantastic wonderful place you could go and play all the games before you decide to buy them and just you know pick the best you'd never be disappointed with anything you bought and other famous people there like chris and wendy Yee, you know famed meeple overboard podcasters who have never invited me on their show <laughs> even though we're oh. personal friends in real life <laughs> say it's what you get board game snobs appreciates their fans <laughs> You're now number Who, Chris, one. Who's Chris <laughs> Yee? <laughs> Meeple Overboard, a podcast and uh, a regular, uh, somewhat regular on a sporadically board. And now he's a member of the Dice Tower, a full time member. I'm not going to say they hate their fans, but I'll just say they don't appreciate their fans in the same way that we do. And that's what I appreciate about you. What's the Dice Tower again? No. <laughs> Who? Mm, exactly. <laughs> so you frequent this diner, and you and your wife, who sounds like your wife is the one we probably should have had on the show, since she probably knows all about the board. Yes. And so that's that's really all's main hobby. It's going to this diner. You center your Instagram around that, and that's really y'all's that board gaming is your main hobby. You would say. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a few other hobbies. You know, everyone likes to travel when you have time and food. Now, now, of course, again, before the pandemic, I love to try different types of food. I'm much more adventurous than my wife, but she'll come along. But any cuisine that I've never tried before, 
jump right into it and eat it, see what it's like. It's terrible. I'd never go back, but you now I'm always want to experiment with new things. I hear possum was big back during the depression. Have you had possum? <laughs> I, I would try any animal once. I've never had possum. I have had kangaroo. Um, you've had, you've had kangaroo. Yeah, I had kangaroo. Not in Australia, sadly. That's what I really need. I need to go to Australia and try kangaroo. What well, does it taste like? Ha- ha- how did you uh, get in kangaroo? New York City? In New York City, I was at this fancy steakhouse, and they actually had kangaroo on the menu. And I decided, why not? Let's try it. And it was not too was exciting. Kangaroo. It <laughs> tasted just kind of like meat. Not they were getting rid of part- some rats. So that's why they told you it was roo. <laughs> yeah. What part of the what part of the kangaroo did you eat? I don't like, know. That's the- a good question. I wish I could answer that. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big foot. Imagine a big kangaroo foot just sitting in front of you, like, <laughs> like a big corn cob. I mean, it was kind of round it. and circular. Maybe it was the tail. No. <laughs> was it called Rataruy? That would let maybe, you know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, but you, did you say what it tastes like? Like, I mean, everybody, of course, says chicken. No, I mean, it was red meat. It was just kind of gamey red meat, really. Mm. Hops. I mean, I guess I don't know. I don't think it was a very good. I think because it was frozen. <laughs> <laughs> was this on a street corner? What was this place? A frozen leg of roux? What are you doing there? <laughs> Gabby, Gabby, we really got to start screening the people we bring on this podcast. It's like, he's basically, he's like, oh, you know, if it, if it had been killed and eaten fresh, the roux may have been tasty. But, you know, having it flown in, you know. I'm sure you'll have an Australian on one day who will explain what fresh roux is like. Probably <laughs> the next day on the news, they're like, oh, roux missing from the New York Zoo. <laughs> And the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So what else have you eaten interesting? Now I'm I'm interested. I've had buffalo. That's the most exotic thing I've had. Concerned. Um, Not too many. I mean, I like different cuisines. Uh, um, I like Chinese food. I I have tried a lot of different Chinese dishes. Uh, We have a great Chinatown here in Vegas. There's places where you can go where no one speaks English and the menu's all in Chinese. And I've never had anything really strange. Um, but I did have bitter melon once, which was totally terrible. Um, <laughs> they love it, apparently. Chinese people love it. Chinese, Chinese cuisine is all about the texture. As a matter of fact, they think Western food is boring because it has no texture. And when, uh, bitter melon, or is it called winter melon? I may have the name wrong, but it's one of those. <laughs> it may be called both. But, uh, it is prized because it's slimy. Actually, kind of like um, that one. Okra. Okra, yes. If you put okra yeah. in a stew. So imagine a melon that's kind of like that, and they sort of stir fried it with other vegetables. And every bite is like this slimy, kind of <laughs> sticky thing. Pretty darn terrible. <laughs> Sounds disgusting. So Gi- Giuseppe likes to travel the world eat exotic dishes and say, this is awful. Yes, <laughs> you're, the, yes. you're, you're the Gordon, you're the Gordon Ramsay of the uh, board gaming community. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> your roux isn't fresh and your bitter melon is, is slimy. Roux is part of soup, right? Like a roux, R-U-E. Maybe that's what you had. You just had a roux. <laughs> Not a kanga roux. 
Well, my other claim to fame is that I failed at a cooking school. So that's why I uh, try to be a food snob because oh. uh, I didn't make it to cooking school, but I was there more than you. So, you know, I can uh, <laughs> more than the average person. <laughs> so I can be snobbish <laughs> about food. <laughs> I, I, I struck a little too close to home there about the <laughs> Gord Ramsey comment. I didn't. I didn't know. Is there any other jokes I should stay away from? Were you? Were you? Were you one of those co- contestants on the show where Gordon put the two pieces of bread next on each side of your head and said, "No, what kind of sandwich are you?" <laughs> uh, I've never watched yes. any of Gordon Ramsay stuff. Just then, I love Gordon Ramsay. Oh, Gordon would. Ramsay. It, Gordon Ramsay because though, he's mean and evil. Ruined he ruined television for a lot of people because he basically made it popular for this lot not what that not true TV what do they call it? reality TV for mm-hmm. the basically you get to be mean to people and now people associate people who are really eccentric and good at their trade as being incredibly rude it's like nobody can be good at what they do and kind you have to be a complete and total jerk like Gordon Ramsay Simon he's Cowell. Actually, I love watching I love watching Gordon Ramsay just cook. Just because I think the the wrinkles in his forehead are amazing. What would be some of your like? What's your favorite? Do you have a top five games? A favorite style games? Like, what do you enjoy playing? Because I will I will admit some of your games that you say you like on your uh, Instagram we don't necessarily care for. Yeah, your opinions suck. <laughs> trying to say in a nice I way. Know. I know. Well, we just had to. We just had to live with it because sometimes. We have pulled the car over and been shocked at what you guys have said about certain games. <laughs> <laughs> what is a game that we have shocked you on? Go ahead. I don't know. I should have made a list of that, but I didn't because I don't keep track of injury. You know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I know you like Champions of Midgard, and we don't like that game. Uh, okay. We don't own that game, though, so we're not totally oh, devoted okay. to it. But what about, well, Raiders of the North Sea? You guys like that? Oh, I like love that one. I love that one. Jerry's okay it, with it. It's 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 okay for basic people. But Raiders of Scythia has a uh, yeah. I agree with your views on it, Jerry. Uh, yeah. But we like that a lot. We definitely like Euros. We're big on Euros. I mean, Agricola we love. Uh, so farming simulation, boring things. We're all into that. Um, I can yeah. I I did make a few lists of a few things we really like. Let me well, see. we love lists. <laughs> so, so hack at us what is this a list of what what's do you have happen to know summer's favorite game yeah we talked about it it's pretty much the same we're kind of similar there's a few games that i like a lot more than she does like for instance i really like um and is it not on my list uh well okay let's start with something that we like together castles of burgundy any we like almost every Feld game uh, and as a matter of fact I I feel the Castles of Burgundy, it may not be the greatest game ever made, but it is the, when you play it, it is like a machine, like a clock. You move all those tiles, it's counting down towards the end of the game, you know exactly what's happening. That's actually the first modern board game we played after Catan. And we bought it from, uh, from Target and just read the rule book and figured it out. And it's just because once you place everything on the board... The way that it all, you move the tiles, everything counts down, you know exactly where you are in the sequence of the game. I like the precision of that game. Not that it's the greatest game ever made, but I think it's a perfect example of a Euro game. Uh, so that's another one, Castles of Burgundy. Oh, well, we love one, Marco Polo. That one has failed us. What? 
<laughs> Go ahead. I like the card. We like the card game over the board game, just FYI. Really? We never played the card game. The card game, it, to me, it does the board game just faster, better, cleaner. Mm. When we've played both, we've played both. Uh, now, other Feld games, we, we like the other ones, too. We like Amerigo. We like Trajan. Um, they're, of course... There's more to them. There's more pieces in those. You know, Trajan is pretty involved. I just bought Trajan. It's actually sitting copy shelf right now, and I had played it a few times, and it, it seems to be an interesting puzzle. Stefan Feld made one of the worst games I had ever played, <laughs> um, <clears throat> and it really turned me off his games. I mean, one, I, I have deep respect for Castles of Burgundy, and I would desperately want to like Feld games, but that Aquasphere, oh was yeah, horrifyingly bad. <laughs> and after that, it kind of went downhill. So back to your thought on Marco Polo. Have you played Marco Polo 2? Yes. Which one do you prefer? So far, we like the first one better. I just make it. I just was wondering why you insist on being wrong. Because the second <laughs> one is much the, better. Uh, Summer did not like the second one. And I think part of the problem was the second one does a few things quite a bit differently. And some paths to victory are different. Mm-hmm. And her favorite path to victory did not work as well in number two, I think. Is her path to victory simply going to the market and fulfilling contracts? Yes, I think it might okay. be. Okay. <laughs> we, actually, we actually call that path to victory the Enrique move, because Enrique <laughs> will not travel in Marco Polo, no. buy contracts, and go to the market and almost win eight every time. Home. He stays home. <laughs> but... Um, uh, we have not played it enough. And here's here's the, the interesting thing that happened to us. We, Of course, we lost Meepleville because of the pandemic. And then, and maybe when we get into telling my story of my medical condition, currently the vast majority of our board game collection is in storage. Um, and it actually, we, we didn't realize it was going to be in storage as long. It was only supposed to be in storage for like a, couple, like a month, really. And then... So we didn't think about like what games to keep out. We just have a random assortment of the games that we happen to have with us at the time we put everything in storage. So we have not been able to get back to Marco Polo 2 and play it more. We may change our mind after more plays. I think that's definitely possible. But I have to call you guys out. How can you play Marco Polo without the characters? Uh, Well, I have gotten... uh, Now, I'll say this. I'll say this. Anytime I want to play Marco Polo and I want to feel like I have soundly beaten somebody, like we are we are even and we're we're playing across the board, I, that's generally the way we like to play it. But when I play Marco Polo on BGA, uh, I, I don't mind the characters. I think that greatly adds a lot of variety. I, I, I like that variety. I just don't want to play a Euro game that feels so unbalanced. And to me, that's what the characters do. And so, but I, I enjoy playing with the characters. It's just that I, the first game of Marco Polo that I played, I was that one character where I could set the value of my die. And that just seemed like a, 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 a just to blow every other player out of the water by being able to switch these dies around. It seemed so unfair. And then it, I think that's the thing that just got me is that some of these characters just seem way overpowered in comparison to the others. Yeah, I totally agree with your thoughts on that because I, I don't know if they're all equal. I also feel like the real challenge is that each one favors a certain play style. 
And if you haven't figured out how the special ability fits into which play style and how to maximize it, you'll be held behind where some of them that are clearly like the one where you change the dice or the one where you never pay money when you mm-hmm. put your dice on other people's dice. Oh, so powerful. So I agree. Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you agree with me. You're coming up <laughs> in our top five guests column. Well, I want to come back, so I will agree with everything. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Marco Polo was the first game, I believe, we said where the asymmetrical powers we enjoyed. Yeah. Even though they did seem like we played it, our first game of it, we played it, and I had the one where you don't pay for the, you know, going on top of somebody, and Jerry had yes. changing his dice. Enrique had the which one which is where, not that's not how it goes in Las Vegas. Enrique <laughs> <laughs> had the one where he pay, he gets another contract for free, so he was all about them contracts. So we played it, and then. But we just the asymmetrical thing. It's just hard for us to rectify that. How can they possibly know that these are balanced? I mean, yeah, they play test it, play test it, play test it, but it just seems nearly impossible that one of these does not have the edge over the other. So we just usually do away with it. But Marco Polo is kind of the exception that we do enjoy playing it with the powers every now and then. Uh, yeah, and so we we like Marco Polo much like you guys. We like. Uh, many of those games from the Italian designers, uh, uh, Grand Austria Hotel. Um, let's see, what else do they have? Uh, Newton. I should have made a list. I didn't, but <laughs> um, but yeah, all those, all the Italian designers, those games we enjoy a lot. Um, basically, any Euros, Underwater Cities, we also really enjoy. Uh, we also really like Terraforming Mars. I know that's not one of Jerry's favorites. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good solo. It's a good solo. We play that uh, with all the expansions. Um, I w- uh, One game. Have you guys played Obsession? The uh, Downton Abbey game? Yes, I have. And your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I played that. It's been It's been over a year. I played that. Uh, with played that with Captain America, Gobby, and when you were gone, ah. I don't think you were there. Um, it's interesting. I enjoy what I what I recall from it. It seemed like it went on a little too long, but I saw why people enjoyed it. The theme of it comes through very very clearly. This moving your servants around to certain areas and having these guests and having to fulfill. I I, I remember seeing enjoying it for it being different. But at the same time, it did not. It didn't blow me away. It didn't blow me away. But I, I it was one of those that I kind of put in the back of my mind to, to try to play again. And I see a lot of people. I guess it's got another release come out because I see a lot of people um, playing it now. But uh, it, it's one that I was intrigued by. But it didn't blow me away the first time I played it. But I've been wanting to play it again if I ever get a hands on a copy of it. Yeah, it's difficult to get because, uh, but it's absolutely one of our favorites. I would say that. Probably Summer's number one game, maybe. She really likes it. Um, but uh, it's it's made by just one guy, you know. And basically, it's difficult to get unless you back one of the Kickstarters. And we actually missed the first Kickstarter, and we won a contest on Instagram. Someone was giving away a copy, and we got selected. And we just played the heck out of that, and then we backed the second Kickstarter. Uh, but the designer of it... Um, 
Dan Halligan, I think is how his name is said. He is so involved. He responds to people on Board Game Geek. He, if there's any problem with the game, he sends replacement parts, and he's just running it out of his home. And it's pretty amazing. And he like, he does all these videos, like all the videos on how to play it. He shot them himself, so it's really fascinating. I think it's an interesting game because of like just an independent designer making it and publishing it himself, and doing mm -hmm. all the. You know, he does all the tutorials for it, too. I mean, everything, you know, mail, you know, all everything about the game is just one. The one designer doing the whole thing. It's real fascinating. Does it have a solo? I think it does, right? It has a great solo. I would highly recommend it as solo. Really? It, and it has a couple different. Uh, originally, there was just one version of solo solo that was great. Um, but now he's added a new solo with the expansion, which is, the, which is better. And you can play either one. There's also a co-op version, which is really great too. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's a game we really enjoy. And I, and I think it's a good solid Euro, you know, resource management and the, how you manage your servant is really fascinating because you need to bring servants into an event to take care of your guests. And then they have to rest for a couple turns. So, <laughs> if, and then, so you have to like manage when your servants are going to be available to do the different events and you could have the perfect event and the perfect guests and not the right servants and then you're screwed. So it's good. It's a good game. I think it's such if, a faux pas. I think if uh, <laughs> anything positive has come out of a pandemic, uh, so the emphasis on solo gaming being uh, put into board games like there's lots of people that enjoy that and also you know since we can't be around each other it's like yeah i, I look for games that have solos and unfortunately i think about like okay we have this pandemic oh yeah it's been the second one in nearly a hundred years there may be another one sometime soon we don't know but I look for solo games. So if obsession and I uh, the only reason I know of this game is your Instagram. And I I also love Downton Abbey. Hey, have you watched Poldark and or Victoria, Giuseppe? Uh, I've not watched Poldark yet. I watched a little bit of Victoria. Um I don't feel like I watch enough TV. I, I, I should watch more. <laughs> that one has, <laughs> I'm too busy reading books. Uh, Victoria is very good. If I had to choose Victoria over Podark, I would choose Victoria over Podark. Podark is good, but I like Victoria better. And my wife concurs with me. In the I mean, it does area. have a Doctor Who alumni. So it does. In Victoria, Clara, so. Clara Oswald. She's there. She's the Queen of England. <laughs> I do love Doctor Who, I'll say. I haven't been able to watch it, though, because... I don't even know where to watch the newest episodes. There's like I don't, no channel that has them. I, I, uh, they're all on, I believe, HBO Max now. Oh, are they on now? Okay. Yeah. So I do have HBO Max. I'll have to check them out. I really like Doctor Who. Um, Who who's your favorite Who? Uh, 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 um, actually, the eighth Doctor is my favorite Doctor Who. Is that Baker? No. Um, no, that's the fourth. The Eighth Doctor, he only appeared in one TV movie, but I'm such a Who fanatic that I listen to original Doctor Who audio dramas. Wow. <laughs> what a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> a Paul McGann. Paul McGann is my favorite Doctor. Paul McGann. And he only appeared, he's only appeared in two televised Doctor Whos, 
but he's done hundreds of original audio dramas. Wow. Look at you kicking up the nerd notch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the, that's the, yeah, that's the, the, yeah, I know who you're talking he about. Was he was also in looks... Luther, I think in the early seasons of the show Luther, if you watch that. He's been in a lot of, other... I mean, there's only so many actors in England, so they're all in <laughs> They're all <laughs> in everything. But he is my favorite doctor. Used to be a prime minister as well, looks like. Uh, yeah, he Dan is, Hughes uh... would be next. His, his Kickstarter of Core Quest, such a success, he's liable <laughs> to be next. When you got three people over there, it's like, what are you going to choose? They just have to go and take turns. Each one can be prime minister. <laughs> Who's the current prime minister of England? Anybody know? It's uh, Boris. Oh, that's right. Boris Yeltsin. I got you. That's right. The guy with the spot on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to tell you, Scotty, but you look a lot like Boris Yeltsin. Oh, video. You got this bald head. If I could just Wait, get a little spot I think you're confusing Yeltsin with Gorbachev. Oh, I am. Oh, oh, comrades! I've made a mistake. I get them so confused. I get my, I get my Russian dictator confused. I can, I don't. I like taters, but I don't like dictators. Dictators. That's a whole different show. If you got dictators, if you rubbing off on us. Okay, dictators. You got a whole different problem. <laughs> Try cleaning uh, okay. it every now and then. Go ahead. Let's let's hard merge into uh uh G units. That's what I'm gonna call him from now on. That's his new nickname. G Mac. Uh, uh, you mentioned your your medical history. Go ahead and just uh talk about all your private medical history here on our podcast for all to hear. Absolutely. I'm gonna start with my social security number and uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, Where do so you live. <laughs> So among the many terrible things that happened in 2020, uh, including losing my job, which I had a great job I loved, and it, they just closed down uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I, in September of 2020, I went to the urgent care, never go to the urgent care. I never go to the doctor. I'd actually never been hospitalized before. But I, so it was so weird. I was just at home. I was playing some video games on the computer and suddenly I started having this terrible muscle pain like all over my body. I mean, muscles that I didn't even know existed or had ever used were just extremely sore and just tremendous pain. And I thought, well, I'll just sleep it off. I'll be better <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I took some ibuprofen or something and went to bed. <laughs> And I woke up and it was exactly the same. No change. Nothing I could do. Hot showers, stretching, nothing was relieving it. And so I decided I should go to the urgent care. So I get to the urgent care and they think I'm dehydrated. They take a blood test. They think I'm dehydrated. They think they're just going to give me some fluids and I'll be okay. And they take the blood test and my platelets are, well, life-threateningly low. Um, Jerry will know these numbers. They were 6,000. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, basically spontaneous death could occur at any moment uh, at that level. So they tell me they tell me I have COVID, which I guess maybe pretty crappy diagnosis, though. So I go to the hospital assuming I have COVID. Um, they take me to the ER. They realize I'm not bleeding internally. So something else is wrong. They're able to stabilize me. And they have a hematologist come and examine me. And he uh, thinks that 
I have some sort of autoimmune disease. And, but they take a bone marrow biopsy just to be sure. And surprise, surprise, after I've been in the hospital about a week, I have not only cancer, I have a rare form of leukemia. It is called acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Uh, it is not hereditary. It just spontaneously starts up one day, often in your 40s or 60s. Children can get it too. Uh, and children are much more survivable than adults. So, <laughs> um, so I get diagnosed with that. Uh, and, uh, and that starts a pretty terrible couple of weeks when they try to see if they can stabilize me there in the hospital. And thankfully, I respond really well to chemotherapy. Um, you know, and they actually are able to release me. I spend about two weeks in the hospital and then they're able to release me and just uh, treat me from home. Uh, and uh, things just get better. And currently I'm in remission. They were able to get me to remission. Now with leukemia, that remission never, it doesn't last forever. It will, uh, um, it, it will come back. So, uh, so that starts, what are we going to do? So I'm getting treatment here. We think about, um, do I need to go to a specialist? Uh, healthcare is not the best in Nevada. As a matter of fact, it's kind of near the bottom of the country. So most people leave to a specialized institution in another state. Um, and the institution that said they were interested in taking me was in Miami, the Miami Cancer Clinic. But, and so we, and so, um, and I'm getting a little ahead of the story here. So we were making plans to move to Miami. At the same time I got sick, we had actually bought a brand new house and we were waiting for it to finish being constructed. And because of my illness, we no longer qualified for it. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to give it up. And we originally put our stuff into storage for one month, thinking it would all be sent to our new house. And instead we now live with my parents and our stuff is just in storage, including our board game collection. And then the next big thing is we thought we were going to move to Miami. And I was going to get treatment there. But after some additional testing, the specialist in Miami feels that I can just stay here in Las Vegas. And I'm still under the care of that specialist. But my treatment will be administered by a local doctor in a hospital here. Um, and I know I jumped through a whole bunch of things. It's been a little bit less than six months since my diagnosis, but uh, uh, but that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty life changing, and it's terminal and terrible. And I don't know if I'll survive it. Um, it's pretty difficult to survive. Uh, but at the current time, I don't really have any problems. You know, besides minor side effects from the chemo, I'm. March 1st, I'll be starting a more intensive chemo. As a matter of fact, starting March 1st, I have to spend 28 days in the hospital because this next chemo they're giving me, it has to be administered. It is administered 24 hours a day for 28 days. Mm -hmm. Then you get a two week break and then they do it again. And that I'm getting four doses of that. That's basically the next six months of my life. Uh, the first dose to see how I re react to it, they're gonna do in the hospital. So I'm just gonna be there hooked up to the machine. Uh, for 28 days straight getting this chemo. Then if I'm okay, if I don't have any reactions to it, real bad reactions, you, you know, the side effects are the side effects, but 
you know, some people are allergic to chemo or they have really severe reactions. But if everything looks okay for that first treatment, I can get the next treatments at home, which will be obviously much nicer than the staying a whole month in the hospital. Um, and this next chemo is probably more severe. This is, I, I mean, I could have lost my hair pr prior to this. I haven't so far, but the next chemo set, maybe I will, maybe I won't. You know, you don't know until you get it. It's going to happen. But that's, I mean, that's what we're, you know, that's what I'm trying to figure. You know, it's interesting too, because I don't really know anything about cancer and everything I know, which is probably wrong information or whatever, I've tried to learn since I've been diagnosed because it was so shocking. Uh, but that's kind of how life has been the last few months. And it's, it's real life changing, you know. I don't know. I keep saying that. <laughs> I don't know. You guys have questions? <laughs> well, obviously, it, well, not we, just to say you look pretty good. I mean, when I look on my computer screen with both of you having your cameras on, Gobby looks like the cancer patient with his bald head and his t-shirt and his chest hair showing. But, but uh, I, I recall when you you first kind of let it let it be known on your Instagram that you had you had this diagnosis and everything that you were going through, and it was kind of a you know it's a it's a shocking thing here because I think everybody um, I think everybody's has been touched by somebody in their family having cancer or, or some relatable diagnosis. I have I had it several, my father and, and several other immediate family, uh, other family members. And so it, it was, it's, it's always difficult when you see somebody going through something like this, because you never really quite know what to say or what to do or anything like that. And I noticed, you know, with, you, you had a brief GoFundMe, which your GoFundMe didn't do half as good as the girl that put Gorilla Glue in her hair. But still, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, but the st it's still, still up, it, by it the way. Right? Is it? Her hair? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Giuseppe's GoFundMe. Yes, oh, my GoFundMe is still active. It hasn't ended. Unlike we Kickstarter, it has no end date. Oh, oh we need to put, you need to link that to the thing. We, when we post this, we will link it to our uh, all of our stuff. Or follow at, at Board Game Diner. It's also on his. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it's it's just one of those things that when you see somebody going through a hard time like that, it's often, uh, like I pointed out, you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And I think it's just been, even though we don't really know you, this is really the first time we've actually ever really spoken to you to any, any extent. It always has felt like oh, the past four years of our podcast, you have been a part of the podcast. It's like Giuseppe's sent us an email or Giuseppe said this or Gobby's, oh, Gobby's the Instagrammer. He's always looking yeah. on Instagram saying Giuseppe's playing this and, and griping about Giuseppe's always playing games. <laughs> and uh, it's he's always he Giuseppe says this. He plays this. And so it's just been a weird thing for us to feel like, you know, we just do this podcast just you know, to kind of entertain ourselves. We never intended it to entertain anybody else. But it was just, I think it touched us a little bit closer to home when we found out you were going through this, just because we kind of feel like you were just part of the family, even though the board game, you know, we didn't even really know you. And uh, I think that was part in us wanting to have you on the show was, I know you're going through a hard time with all this, and I know it seems like you have a, a great attitude about it because everything you have described sounds as awful, <laughs> but yet here you are acting like everything's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, when I was first diagnosed, I it was really weird because I was in the hospital and I didn't know if I was going to leave the hospital because it was real touch and go. 
Um, and of course, the doctors, you know how doctors are. They're hard to communicate with. And they didn't want to tell me anything because they didn't know, like, if the chemo doesn't work on me, you're not leaving the hospital. They didn't say that. But now I realize that's why they wouldn't tell me about the future at first. Um, and when I was first diagnosed, I would sit there in the hospital room and I couldn't even watch TV. I was like, what does this even mean? None of, this is all meaningless. I don't want to hear about pizza or, or Netflix or something. Meaningless. <laughs> And like, there was all these crime shows on it. It started with someone dying. And I'm like, I can't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That calmed down after a while. I, I don't know. It, it's okay now because even though I have this terrible illness, I don't really think about dying right now because right now I'm okay. You know, I know that it may be closer than I expected my life expectancy to be. But right now things are okay. So I at least have a little more time. Um and the other kind of nice thing is now all I do is I, I, you know, I can't work because I go to the doctor all the time and I have all these treatments and whatnot. So I kind of just hang around the house and I don't have a whole lot of responsibilities or whatnot. You know, I, I have to kind of admit that's sort of nice. My poor wife now has a lot of extra stress. But uh... Giuseppe <laughs> has taken his stress and loaded it onto summer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel really bad. The one good thing is uh, she can take, you know, she, well, I don't know. There's nothing good. The only good thing is at least she can see me at, at work because I'm going to go to the, I go to the hospital where she works. Um, that was good in the beginning because when I was first diagnosed, there were no visitors allowed and she was able to break that rule, which uh, I felt bad for other people that couldn't get visitors, but I would have gone insane if she couldn't actually come to my room. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just try to stay positive as long as possible. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks in the hospital, I'll probably be feeling a lot different <laughs> coming up here. I do want to talk about the GoFundMe, though, because the GoFundMe was an amazing experience. And I didn't make millions of dollars, but um, the money we did make is really keeping us afloat. It really made all the difference. And it removed, you know, we weren't stressed about financial things because it gave us a little bit of padding. Um, and my family, of course, and my friends just beyond generous. But so many people from Instagram contributed money, small amounts, large amounts. It, and some, and there, there are people on Instagram that I chat with, um, and I kind of know like their names, but some people I only know their Instagram handle. And they contributed money. And it was just, it was really moving. And I, I've tried to, to express that every time I thank people through the campaign. But it was really touching. It was really touching the number of people that, you know, knew me only from liking my pictures on Instagram and they sent money to the GoFundMe. It was, uh, it was a good thing. I mean, it was really touching to me and I, we really appreciate it. My whole family, because I mean, it's been a difficult thing and we had to, uh, in order for me to get care out of state, we had to change our insurance and it's a much more expensive insurance. Um, not, I mean, it's not a whole lot more expensive, but, uh, but that, you know, that's the thing. There's just so many expenses and there's so many, you know, when you go from never going to the doctor, I mean, going to the doctor, maybe every three months or six months to multiple weekly doctor visits, like just going to get my blood drawn every week, even if it's five or 10 bucks. I mean, that's once a week, 10 bucks, that's 40 bucks you weren't spending before. I mean, it's just the, everything adds up and it's, it's really, um, it's just 
I just real appreciative of the GoFundMe. And and yes, it's still open. If you'd like to contribute, you're saving my family, you know, saving my wife and my parents <laughs> and everyone that would be covering these things. So are you able to get have. some of that money? Like like you were saying, is is help. So you've already, like, I don't have any idea how GoFundMe works, but you've already able to access some of that. Yeah, GoFundMe is quite different from Kickstarter. So it's a continuous campaign and they just send you the money every so often. I, I think it's once a week or once every couple weeks. They just send you a deposit. So basically no money is held by GoFundMe. Oh, okay. Um, as the money comes in, they continuously send it to you. It's it's not like Kickstarter, Gobby. It's not like he's got stretch goals. <laughs> if I reach this certain, <laughs> if I reach this certain point, they'll they'll let me eat lunch when I'm at the hospital. <laughs> you know that 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 it's it's yeah yeah. GoFundMe is they 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 so they donate the money. Yeah, it goes straight to you. Is it a nonprofit? We pay them a little cut. There's a little transaction fee. Okay. It's, it's not. Uh, it's fairly minimal. I mean, obviously, if someone just wants to hand me cash, then I don't pay a transaction fee on that. But <laughs> and some people contribute, you know, like my friends and family, they often contributed outside of the GoFundMe because, um, you know, they take that there's of it. no transaction fee. But GoFundMe's transaction fee is very small. I mean, it'd be the same as if I set up a credit card, yeah. um, you know, people are giving me money through credit card or something so well it's good to it's good to hear that you've had the community that you have kind of built up just just a small bit around your instagram and how supportive the community the board gaming community has been for you i think that's nice to nice to hear uh just because i mean you you hear you, you see so much go on in the world and you know a lot of times it's through random strangers but still just through your little your instagram alone i mean just seeing people support you that's just I think that speaks volumes of the board gaming community. Yeah, I mean, it really was a shining moment, I would have to say. I mean, because people that didn't know me from all over the world, too. Many of the contributions were from Europe. Some are from Asia. I mean, some of the people from Asia, I'm not even sure if they speak English. Um, and I follow their accounts, and they usually post in Chinese or Japanese. And they contributed, and I don't even know... I mean, I guess they understood enough to understand what my situation was. They translated it or something. But. Does it just show you like anonymous? Um, so when you contribute, you can choose how you want your name to be displayed. Um, it's totally up to you. You can put whatever name you want in. Oh, okay. It doesn't have anything to do with the billing information. So you can choose anonymous or a lot of people put their Instagram handle if they didn't think I knew them. Or they'd put their name and they'd give a comment to say who they were. Some people, and, and and that's another thing too, I should point out, there are people who contributed, I don't really know who they are. Maybe they're from Instagram and I just don't know their real names. Maybe they're friends of friends, you know, coworkers. Um, I mean, yeah, when someone contributes, they decide what name they're going to put and they decide if they're going to leave a comment. And many people just put their real name and nothing and... I wonder who they are, you know. Some people are like coworkers of my sister, you know, that I've never met, but yeah. That's good. I yeah, it's uh it's uh, the whole medical thing is just an absolute nightmare. When my mom was in her last few weeks, it's like just day after day of hospital hospital and you talk to one nurse and they get all this information from you 
And apparently none of it gets relayed to the next person that walks in the door. And it's like, why are you asking me all this information when nothing gets relayed to the next person? And the doctor comes in with the nurse that just asked you all these questions, then asks you all the same questions again. I've never understood that. That drove my mom absolutely insane. And then it's just, yeah, any little thing you get charged exorbitant amounts for. I remember I had the one time I went to the ER. This is the one time. I had this horrendous migraine and I usually get migraines. My mom has them. My brother has them, but this was a, this one was just like none other I've had before. I took my normal medicine for it. Didn't work. Go to the ER and they give me the shot of, uh, I think it was sumatriptan. It was whatever I usually take, but they gave me like two shots of this and a shot of that. And it was like thousands of dollars just for that one trip to get rid of a headache. And it's just insane. So I can only imagine. I I know what mama had accrued on her stuff. She had some insurance, but not enough. So, uh, yeah, it's it's any anything that anybody can contribute. We'll uh, we'll put the the GoFundMe in our show notes. We have show notes. I put show notes in our show. We have show notes. Speaking of the show, speaking of the show, we did ask Giuseppe to, uh, do like some sort of top five something, didn't we? There was something he was going to do, yes. right? I thought it was something of interest. It was <laughs> something interesting. I just remember when you said what it was, I thought that will be interesting. What is it? Uh, it is top five things I hate about board game rule books. I'll I take that back. It's not that interesting, but go <laughs> ahead. We got no, we got <laughs> no, no. Let me, let me, uh, so. A little Hang bit on, about let me my get background. Another, let, uh, you tell your background. I'm going to get another beer so we get through this. Keep All going. Right. Go ahead. So I, I'm a writer, but not an exciting writer. I'm a technical writer. Uh, among many jobs I've had, I wrote textbooks. That was my job that I lost because of the pandemic. And I believe I know a little bit about formatting and how to transmit information. And uh, some board game rule books, as I'm sure you guys know, they are terrible and they make me angry. But more importantly, they lack a level of professionalism. I mean, there are professional standards in text format and they violate them. (laughs) (laughs) Give us your worst offenders. Uh, I don't want to call anyone out because I know a lot of board game companies are small and they, um, they don't, uh, um, you know, they don't have a lot of people on staff, and sometimes the designer is writing the book. I, I don't want to call anyone out, but there are some terrible ones. And also, one of the things I'm going to talk about is the apps. I, I don't understand what the problem is, but translating often from German to English or from any other language, translating between two languages, you have to have a capable translator and an editor who speaks the native language. And German board game publishers are some of the worst offenders. And I'll get into that. There's a reason why they need a native English speaker because of the differences between the German and the English language. Um, but let me, uh, I'll go through the items. You guys can comment if, if that's good, if you want. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll comment. <laughs> <laughs> so number five, I'm going to go from five to one. Number five, no component list and no picture of the game setup. Agree. I'm I have an offender on my table right now. I think it's a a Worthington game. Uh, I'm getting back into some of the old war games and I am shocked that they do not have a component list nor any pictures that describe which 
what they're referring to, that this component is the this type of cube, or this card, deck of cards is this deck. It's just, here's the components. We hope you have them all. I couldn't inventory this game if I wanted to. If there's no pictures of the components, or at least a description, but a picture really is what you need, you should just burn the rule book because it, <laughs> it will not aid you in any way to play the game. Just good luck. <laughs> I will say there's a couple companies I really love that are doing great. Uh, Eagle Griffin, mm. most of their rule books are amazing. Oh, we just got the Anachrony Kickstarter. That yes. is the model that everyone should follow. Um, all right. Number four. Oh, here. I should have done this first. Not translated properly or reviewed by a native speaker. Now, why is this a problem? Well, a lot of the games we play, the rule books are written in German first. And often what I find is there's confusion about the sequence of events. The reason that is, is because in German, they only have two verb tenses. In English, we can have as many as 15. And so what happens is in German, you need far less words to describe the sequence of events because their words are more descriptive of that. But in English, we need it spelled out. Often two sentences are necessary to explain the sequence of how things are supposed to unfold. A na even someone who speaks English, but a native German speaker, they don't always understand that and they get that screwed up. And when you're reading the rule book, and this can happen in any language, but this is a, you know, when you're reading the rule book, it makes sense in German. In English, it does not because the sequence of events is not explained properly. Why are our verbs so tense? <laughs> <laughs> Do they have anxiety? Or <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and part of that, too, is that English is a, um, you know, in, in many ways, it's like a Creole or a, uh, you know, it's a combination of German and French. And you can see that even today, as long as the language has been around, we require additional words to explain things. We don't have highly descriptive words like other languages do because English is made up is like the mashing of German and French together. So, um so that's number four. Number three. This may not be as exciting, but to me, this just kills me because in my professional life, I formatted text. No basic formatting. Headings, subheadings, bulleted lists. The, the headings need to be bigger than the subheadings, and they should be bold. And you should use color if you can afford color. <laughs> um, and if something is important, bold it you know, or offset it somehow. Again, Eagle Griffin, what did we just get? Uh, Kanban EV followed all of these rules. Headings and subheadings, information that was important was in bold. How are you supposed to read the text if it's all exactly the same? And there's no like clear differentiation between the different sections, the different, you know, and Euro games are the perfect way to organize this information because they're often... You have your turn, and there's often different phases within that turn. There's your headings and subheadings right there. Phases like the moon. <laughs> I don't. I don't read board game rule books. I leave that to Jerry. And if there's not a video on it, I just don't learn it. <laughs> I put it back on the shelf. I, I will interject that, and, and uh, just because you brought this game up, one of my, I, I just remember one of the first rule books that I read and thought. I read it from front to back, and as soon as I put it down, thought I knew how to play the game. 
this is a great this is a great rule book was the rule book for underwater cities. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I just remember reading that and thinking, man, they really put a lot of effort into making sure the examples were clear because that was a complicated game, but yet it still come across as being just very clear and concise. And the the reason I feel so strongly about this is there are a handful of games that we have literally played sometimes multiple times with a rule wrong. Now, that's my fault. I didn't read it, but if the rule book was better, I don't think it would have happened. For instance, this is one of our famous ones. Early on, when we were learning a ticket to ride, I just assumed you could lay as many trains as you wanted every turn. I don't know why I thought that. So, you guys are, yeah. So, was we, one of what the we color, would play right? is we'd just get giant hands, and then one person would go and lay down a bunch of trains. Yeah. <laughs> but it's one it of makes specific it a totally color. game, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so which did you prefer? Which game do you prefer? Yours or the real one? The real one, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, our way of playing, it was definitely different. The problem with it was you you could re- I mean, you could just sit for a long time. And if what you needed was still out there, you could just lay down and fill the whole area. That's it takes some of the. There's suddenly trains <laughs> yeah, <laughs> coast to coast. And it sort of makes the game, because everyone's holding, if no one's going down, you wait. It adds mm-hmm. this weird sort of strategy to it. Yeah, You wait to who's going to go first. Who's going to, you know, blink first and throw their trains down. <laughs> <laughs> who's the noob, basically? Okay, number two. No repetition of rules. Now, again, I'm going to call out our German friends. For some reason, they feel like it's a crime. Once a rule is stated, it can never be mentioned again, even (laughs) if it applies to another section of the game. And if you can't find that one paragraph where it's buried in the middle and not in bold, (laughs) you will never know the rule. (laughs) Do you have an example of this? I don't. I didn't want to call anyone out, but but Ticket to Ride is a pretty good example. The addition we have, I don't know if they've gotten better, but Ticket to Ride is a good example of no... Um, no bulleted lists, no headings and subheadings. That's why I missed. That's why I misunderstood how the uh, um, how the cards were supposed to be uh, played out. That you could only do one per turn. There is a section where it talks about that, and I misread it. I'm not saying the rule book is bad, but it should have been bolded and um, and put into a bulleted list. And maybe late editions now might have that better formatting, but. I, you know, I kind of skim read. My wife always accuses me of this. I sort of skim read because when I'm reading something and often we're like sitting at the cafe and I'm trying to read the rules pretty quickly. So I'm looking for the headings and the subheadings and the bullet list. And if they're not there, I might just decide a paragraph is not as important as another paragraph <laughs> and I missed something. You know, it's my fault. But if you had good formatting, you know, I wouldn't have to work as hard. I don't know. <laughs> How do you feel about uh, Portal Games, Ignacy Chevichek rule books? Um, we don't have a lot of his games. I think they're pretty terrible, though, right? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yes. Uh, let me see. I, I think don't know if we I think it's the translation the issue. The one we have is Detective, right? The, the mm-hmm. crime game. Yeah. But we actually, it didn't seem too bad. We were able to get it going. Oh, okay. Um, which you know who is really terrible, and we love Alexander Pfister. Almost all of his rule books are hideous. 
I mean, we love Great Western Trail. We played it a dozen times. We played Maracaibo wrong two times. We had to go and watch a video. We had to read BGG posts to try to figure something out. And it literally is almost the same game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, any, any time you play Maracaibo is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, why don't you like Maracaibo? Uh, besides the fiddliness of the player boards with all these little bitty small yes. brown pucks I agree. everywhere that I get shifted. Besides that, uh, the awful theme, the lack of any actual real mechanics. It's just a big wrong down <laughs> circle the ship. And it's just, that is true. it's, it's tired. It's tiresome. It's tiresome. We like Alex. I, I, we, of course, it's problematic now. Uh, Mombasa. Your verbs are very tense. <laughs> My <laughs> verbs are tense. It's like some, I just get so nervous as what to say these days. We liked Mombasa. We liked Oh My Goods. Oh, uh, I love Oh My Goods. I like the Oh My Goods solo with the expansion. Um, I like, uh, oh, uh, what's the one you like? Hong Kong Blackout. That's a really yeah, good why one. Why don't you just no, take I hate your time. that one. <laughs> you hate oh, no. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Blackout <laughs> is his best game. Alexander Fisher. Did Giuseppe say game. he hates it? It's Hong I have a really Kong funny. Blackout. I have a really funny story about Hong Kong Blackout. We played it only once. Maybe we need to play it more. We hated it. The only time a designer. Well, no, that's not quite right. Twice designers have replied to my posts. Alexander Fister replied to my post and said he was sorry we didn't like it. <laughs> See, he's a nice guy. <laughs> he is. I felt so terrible. <laughs> Hong Kong Blackout is amazing. Absolutely. Maybe we didn't quite understand it. We need uh, to try well, it again. We only played it maybe, once. The rule book was bad. The rule book. Well, was bad. Maybe you're just anti Rondell. <laughs> How do you not like Rondell? He's our favorite guy. We hated Great Western Trail. The first time we played it, but we kept thinking about it. So then we played it again. And finally, a third time, we decided we liked it. <laughs> Interesting. We didn't like it our first play. Oh, see, it was probably the rule book, though. <laughs> we we didn't have a rule book. We had a guy at BGG teaching us the game, and we did not like it. Oh. But, but upon you further review. It again, though. It's good. Yeah. That might have been the problem. He wasn't bolding his words. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, so. was, uh, it was kind of a weird thing. Like I, I would like to play it again. And now that they're coming out with Great Western Trail 21, 21, 22, 20, 34, whatever they're doing, I don't know. I'm so excited I get to buy the game and its expansion again. <laughs> 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 Although, really, I mean, how many times has uh, Vital, Vital Lacerda, I don't know how to say his name. Vital. Ha Vital. <laughs> how many times has Vital made, uh, made Kanban? We own one of the previous editions too. <laughs> yeah, I, I have the, I have the, the, I think the original edition is what I have, and I have yet to play it with Gobby. But I, I the solo of it that is nice enough. I think it's going to be a, a good one. I've, I haven't played it with anybody yet, but I really like drive. Uh, I think no, mine's the driver edition. I think I have the driver edition of Combat. Oh yeah, EV. Yours is so old. Her name is Eve. <laughs> Oh, I, nobody, have, nobody, I have I have Kanban Model T. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was your number two, right? Yes. Now here's number one. Now this is just me. This is probably just my pet peeve, but this is the ultimate ultimate sin. And I have seen this. I should have brought an example, but again, I don't want to call anyone out. But I've seen it in many rules. We will go ahead. 
rules that only appear in examples or picture captions. So the rule is not in the main text, but then they tell an example, and the example says, oh, and blue player does this because of, and then See, they list a rule that appears nowhere else in the book. I wish I had that an example of this example. <laughs> just give us I one. I don't have my collection. If I had my collection, I would have Just do it. Example. Come on. Just happy we're... Tr- Giuseppe, we're trying to get you a job, man. We're going to send this <laughs> podcast all the, the. So, do you have problems? You with can rule become books? an editor, rule book, <laughs> rule book editor somewhere. A portal might sp- hire you. We need you. <laughs> they need someone, and you- and probably it's a language thing too, because talk about there are they Polish or are they Czech? They're Polish. Polish. Talk about, but both those languages very, very different from English. A totally different language family. Um, so of course something is lost in translation, you know, <laughs> there's a, they're Polish, but they should check their rule book. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, did you see what I did there? I got I'm you. I'm international. Look at you. I'm Pitbull. <laughs> 305. Uh, you should start your own YouTube channel, uh, Giuseppe, where you just angrily point out <laughs> rules that are easily missed and should be bolded. You can call it like the angry editor or something like that, where you just have a rule book and just you just angrily pointing out m- rules that people might miss. But I need a small child like Cora to really get famous. <laughs> no, well, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we've tried that. We tried. We haven't, Ricky. We have every day, and his yeah. You know, we 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 shot some videos like that. I had this idea of having like commonly overmissed rules, and having you know somebody pointed out. And Enrique's hands are very you know small and childlike <laughs> that be utilized on the video, but it didn't work out. But that's I'll pass that idea on to you. You should just start your own board game YouTube of these are the rules and how they messed them up. Rules by <laughs> GMAC done. I could. I could because, you know, some companies, they really anger me, especially the big ones. If you're a tiny company, you know, like what was that dinosaur game? Dinogenics? Yes. That had a bad yeah. right? But they're a small company, you know. But if you're Asmodee, there's no excuse. Mm-mm. You shouldn't be making crappy rule books with your games. Yeah, the Dinogenics rule book, not the best, but uh, they had this reboot of their game and hopefully it's better. And Richard Keene, I think that was the guy. Like that's mm-hmm. an excellent game, excellent game. Love that game, but the rule book. Well, this is the thing too. I hear this a lot when I listen to those board game content creators. But um, air quotes. <laughs> but uh, they say that a lot of games don't get blind play tested, and I think that's true. Like they don't. And what that would be is you just give the game in the rule book to a group of people who've never played it, and you don't let the designer go in there and explain. And can they, using the rule book and the game, figure out how to play the game properly? And if you do that, you see areas where the rule book might not be communicating something the best way. Um, or where the game might be confusing, where people might want to do something one way, but the actual rule is something different. I mean, that's what we do you know, in publishing. When, when you're writing a textbook, you... Because uh, I actually... Which is weird because I am not a handyman in any way, but I actually wrote textbooks for um, trade skills for a trade union is who I worked for. And I wrote textbooks on how to be a carpenter and uh, do other trades like that. And uh, we would do the same thing. We would have a list of how to do a specific task 
and we would give it to someone and we'd watch them. How are they following? Are the steps correct? Are they doing everything that's necessary when they follow our list of rules? And I mean, that's just basic testing for written information. I don't know. <laughs> I watched a uh, an interview done. I can't remember which designer it was, but he was he was co-designing a game with Matt Leacock. And he was talking about how Matt Leacock would have his games blind tested. And he did it slightly different. Uh, he would allow the the testers to read the rule book and then start playing the game. But then he would sit in on the game and remove the rule book. And whenever they would have a question regarding the rules, he would ask them, how do you think you should do it? Oh. Like, what's in, what's intuitive to you? Like, how do you think this should be? And they would go, well, I think it should be this. And he found that a lot of times the rules of his games that weren't intuitive, if it was constantly being misunderstood or constantly people were always wanting to do a rule this way, he would eventually just change it in the game because he realized that most people, you do certain things just intuitively. Like it makes sense that this rule should be this way to most people. We'll just leave it in there. And I think that makes a... That makes a lot of sense in a lot of these board games. That there, there are certain rules that I need reminded of every time I play a game. Uh, brass is my favorite game. I know I have to have trains, con- roads connected to get coal. I don't have to for iron. I have to remind myself of that every single time I play that game. And I, I think that has to be very evident in all the rule books. Well, that's interesting. So you just wrote textbooks about things you didn't know. People gave well, you what, and you just reformatted it. Well, yeah, that was part of it. Actually, what I did is um, I would work with a group of master carpenters. Uh, basically, what we would do is we would meet, uh, we would prepare an outline. I didn't. I wrote some of the textbooks, but sometimes I was actually the person preparing the outline for the writer. And we, I would we would meet every day with this group of master carpenters and we would slowly build an outline for the textbook. Um, And they would put all the information in there. And my contribution was to organize the information in a way that it can be interpreted. Because I wrote textbooks for the apprenticeship program. So these are people who might know nothing. Um, And the reason that everyone that worked, uh, you know, the people in my position, they were almost always people who knew nothing about the trade because that helped interpret the information better to a new person. Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes I did write the books. And so when I worked on the other end of the project, I would get the outline and I would try to interpret what they had put into it, into a text, which was sometimes good and sometimes really frustrating, you know, Uh, because, but when you're, when you're a master at something, you often leave out the little details you just assume everyone knows. You're not telling me anything. I, I skipped over stuff all the time. I just assume everyone's on the same level. But we can't. Yeah, that's just how it is. Well. Mm. But Gombe's, Gombe's camera went off. He's no doubt running to the bathroom. His bladder is... He's having a lot of bladder issues here lately. I see. And but he has a picture of him and Tom. That's interesting. I, that <laughs> offends me every time. He went to BGG and... Gobby's screen capture for his uh, all of his videos are of him and Tom, a picture he took with Tom Vassell. And this is back, if you'll notice, this is so far back, that's when Gobby had a little bit of hair. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and Tom was, uh, he still really liked Tom. Gobby had a crush on Tom <laughs> Vassell for the longest time. 
Well, just like right. Giuseppe, he was my intro into the gaming world. I'm going to have to get off here. I, we're going to have to wrap this up, as interesting as this is. But we think... But, uh, Much like Mr. an G, armadillo wraps his body up into a ball. Yes, and well, I have semi-wrapped it, and now I'm clamping down. I'm cutting off. Uh, Giuseppe, tell everybody how to get a hold of you in case they want to send you hate mail. Oh, very good. Uh, just come to my Instagram, Board Game Diner. And you can just uh, post that you hate my most recent picture. That would be awesome. You could follow me. I, I also have Twitter and Facebook. They're also Board Game Diner. But Instagram is the service that I use the most. Um, also, in anticipation of spending a month in the hospital, I've started playing Animal Crossing. So if you want to friend me on my Nintendo Switch, uh, just message me and I'll send you my friend code. <laughs> Animal Crossing. Can yeah, you do armadillos? Yeah, I hope crossing? so. I want to now. I want to eat an armadillo. It's become my new goal. Why did the chicken cross the road to prove to the armadillo it could be done? <laughs> Those are Animal Crossings. The road. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we will post uh, the GoFundMe for Giuseppe. Please uh, feel free to you know donate any of your inheritances towards Giuseppe's fun. He needs it. Uh, maybe we should start a GoFundMe, Jerry. Uh, you look pathetic enough. <laughs> hey, don't you guys need to pay your power bills and keep your generators running? Yes, it's a, it's our a power is, is uh, the ERCOT has let us down here in Texas. Just saying. <laughs> uh, but no, we're we're good for now. I, I have yet. Well, uh, okay, I have a job story for the future. We'll let that go for now. But uh, until then, I'm Gabby. This is Jerry. And also, Giuseppe. Thanks for oh. listening. Bye-bye. G-Unit! Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy. Stay classy.